Hi, I'm Abigail, one of three co-editors of Arthur Newspaper. You're listening to episode three of a podcast series by the teams of Arthur and Peterborough Currents, all about the City of Peterborough's 2024 budget process. In this episode, we're diving into City Council's budget deliberations from the week of November 20th. As these deliberations began, city councillors were staring down a potential 9.59% property tax increase to cover the rising costs of running the city. Ballooning police budget, rising fuel prices, and recent wage hikes for city staff are just some of the factors that are putting pressure on the city of Peterborough's finances, according to budget documents. So, starting November 20th, councillors sat for three nights worth of finance committee meetings to dig through the budget page by page and line by line, with hopes of finding some savings. They talked about everything. Road resurfacing, childcare, the Peterborough Airport, they even discussed high-tech future of municipal toilets. Um, and I have no shares in this company. Uh, it's called New Toilet or New Smart Toilet. Um, but I think they're about $100,000 each. They have quite a, a number of features here, certainly um, security cameras, um, air, uh, disinfecting uh, the cabin by ultraviolet, um, um, remote management of it not belaboring the point, but the portable washrooms that Councillor Riel was referring to, have we as a city looked at those before and have determined that they're good or not good or ruled them in or out? These washrooms have existed for quite a few years, interesting enough, and they and they are washrooms that you can uh, program, again, self-cleaning. We have several uh, projects, uh, including washrooms, and we've even seen, for example, as we've been working on this podcast series, we've begun to understand the budget process less as one big news story and more as a bunch of little ones that happen all at once. So, for this episode, my co-editor Sebastian Johnson-Lindsay and Peterborough Currents publisher Will Pearson are taking a look at five stories that came up during the budget talks. Why is the city losing millions of dollars every year running an airport in Cabin Monaghan Township? Will bus riders see any transit improvements next year? Why are the city and Trent University still at loggerheads over the development of campus employment lands? Is the city's bureaucracy becoming too bloated and top-heavy? And why are city staff taking a risk with the medical benefits that social assistance recipients rely on? Sebastian and Will are going to answer these five questions and share with you what your city councillors had to say about them in this episode. Okay, let's get into the episode. Sebastian and Will are going to talk about transit first. Here they are. To get things started here, we're going to talk about transit. Uh, the budget included money for the hiring of four new full-time drivers and two new supervisor positions. Um, and these were mainly in order to increase frequency along certain routes within the city. Um, but as we've already stated, everything's on the table during these budget deliberations. And so Councillor Vasiliadis, in an attempt to find find some efficiencies and therefore reduce the, the tax increase, uh, moved to defer the hiring of those four full-time drivers. Now, I'd like to make the, the following motion, um, that the hiring of four full-time bus drivers be deferred to the 2025 budget and that $340,000 be put towards the net tax levy. So the rationale for Vasiliadis was the idea that the city needs to look for efficiencies. And while he saw the value of in hiring these supervisors at this time, he couldn't see how the hiring of these drivers would contribute to the service reaching their goals of a 20 to 30 minute service time all that much sooner. However, many of his council council colleagues did see the, the significance in in giving the service this the these these staff increases um, in order to reach that goal. 
if if people are believing that they can get to where they need to within an exact time with the greater frequency, we have an efficient transit system. We have to get transit down to a 20-minute service. If we're ever going to get people out of their cars and using transit, that's what we have. That's the benchmark. We're not there yet. We're getting there. We got to do this. Transit has been through enough. This is one of the foundational cornerstones of having a healthy city. And I'm definitely in favor of supporting transit the way that it's it's being asked to be supported fully. Okay, so that was uh, Councillors Joy Lachica, Keith Riel, and Alex Burke um, speaking about the importance of these transit hires. I think that if they if these hires go through, it would allow the, some routes that have hourly service right now to uh, transition to half hourly service. Yeah, but even upon hearing that, Vasiliadis wasn't stirred. Uh, he had another point. Um, you know, I'm just what I'm saying here too is that if buses aren't leaving on time and are canceled, then I I can't see how four extra drivers just at the moment will will increase the ridership. I don't think you really draw a straight line to it necessarily. Okay, so I can kind of like appreciate the logic of this. We, we hear a lot right now about how buses that don't leave on time or buses that get canceled, and often the reason is because of staff shortages. If we hire four new bus drivers, but also increase the frequency on some routes, it strikes me that that isn't going to necessarily solve the bus cancellation and the bus um, like the late late departure issue. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly correct. And I mean, in, in that instance, then the only logical thing to do would be to hire even more, even, even more drivers. <laughs> yeah. So, so while I, can, I, I think I can appreciate what Vasiliadis is saying too, from, from the point of view of, you know, saving money and then also pointing at the logic here of trying to do both at the same time, but also both goals need to be accomplished Yeah. with more hires. <laughs> so, and what happened? Yeah, so in the end, the motion to defer the hiring of the four transit drivers was defeated six to five, um, which was an extremely close and I think is going to be worth watching when the budget comes back at council on December 11th. Yeah, and, and just so our listeners know, because you might be curious how your councillor voted on this, um, it was councillors Hickey and Beamer, Vasiliadis, Duguay, and Parnell who voted against the, the transit hires and the other six voted for them. All right, so our next topic up for discussion is discretionary benefits. What are discretionary benefits, Will? Okay, so um, people who are on Ontario Works social assistance um, are entitled to certain medical benefits. Um, this is like, you know, benefits that anyone else would get, like maybe through their job or something for like, you know, eye care, dental care, funerals, that kind of thing. Um, the province, the province pays people's social assistance checks. That's not a municipal expense. Um, but the province only funds medical benefits up to a certain amount and municipalities can decide to offer a little bit more. And that, so that's why they're called discretionary benefits. They don't, municipalities don't have to provide them, but many do. And Peterborough historically has, um, the city's social services director, Rebecca Morgan Quinn, uh, when asked during these budget talks, kind of gave a list of the kinds of things that they cover. Anyone who needs uh, dental, dentures, funerals, like it's it's quite broad, but not everyone needs it in any given year. Um, prosthesis hearing aids is also covered under this, um, our bus pass subsidy. The draft budget proposes cutting these benefits by $150,000 or around 35%. And this will have the effect of saving uh, Peterborough's median taxpayer about $3.46 next year. And so Councillor Riel does not support these cuts. 
I will not be supporting cuts to discretionary benefits off the backs of the working poor, the marginalized, or the homeless. I'm sorry. Vial said that some city workers, including, for example, uh, transit drivers who just had a new collective agreement ratified, are receiving inflationary wage increases. And he thinks that people on social assistance also need, um, like, it needs to be acknowledged that people on social assistance are also facing this rise in cost of living and need more support. I think there's a necessary expense here for people who are just trying to live day to day. Um, but interestingly, Keith Riel, like after he said that, he didn't put forward a motion to undo the cut. Yeah, which is kind of strange because in most situations, if a councillor doesn't agree with something that's being brought forward by staff, then they can move a deferral or they can move to reverse. They can make put forward a motion in order to sort of bring it into alignment with their with their beliefs. So, so Riel yeah. kind of just stated this and then yeah, he said, all kind I, of... I don't support this, yeah. but then didn't do anything to change it. So yeah. it's still in the budget. Yeah, and so... Uh, I wonder what the what the impact of this could be, you know? Yeah, so the city's commissioner of community services, Sheldon Laidman, um, kind of walked councillors through this. He said it was a bit of a calculated risk. We would certainly be advocating for higher discretionary benefits, but at this time, the usage of the benefits is at a point where we can get by with the amount of money uh, given. However, there is a risk um, as higher caseloads and other things that we will run out of money at, at the end of the year, that's the risk. And if uh, that $150,000 would have been used to fund that at the end of the year. So there is a risk to it, uh, but it was a calculated risk by staff that it was uh, something that can be accommodated right now. Okay, so that was Sheldon Laidman describing the risk that um, staff are kind of taking with this budget cut. He thinks that there will be enough money for these medical benefits next year, but he can't be sure. There's a chance towards the end of the year they'll run out of money and they'll they'll not be able to give medical benefits to people on social assistance next year. Um, this reminds me of something else that happened during budget talks a few years ago. I think it was 2019, maybe 2020, when they cut the um, housing stability fund. They didn't cut it all together, but they cut like a portion of it. And this is a fund that like helps people to stay in their housing if they're at risk of losing it or like when they're moving into new housing, get a couch or like pay their first and last month's rent. Um, they cut that and their justification at the time was it's being unused. So we've got this budget, the budget is left at the end of the year, so let's stop dedicating as much funding to it because it's not being used. At the time, I remember questioning and not getting a really satisfactory answer is this not being used because there's no need for it or is it not being used because it's not being promoted well enough? Like, do people know about this benefit? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that maybe something similar is happening. Like, we can ask a similar question with this. Yeah, no, I think that's worth asking for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I think let's, um, let, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this this year. We can maybe halfway through next year, we can check in with the city and see, like, how's this going? Like, do you still have money in this account? Um, it Does it look like you're going to run out? We'll keep an eye on it. Okay, let's move on to our next topic, which is some recent like organizational restructurings of the senior leadership of the city, which have some budget implications. Um, this one's going to take a little bit of explaining and a little bit of a backstory. I hope you are ready for it. I'm all ready. Yep. Okay. So the new chief administrative officer of the city is Jasbir Reyna. And recently he's been putting into effect some, yeah, some organizational restructurings, including um, like a 50% budget increase to his own office to hire a new staff person to support the CAO. But also, and probably more significantly, he is taking a couple of really big departments in the city 
um, and splitting them into two uh, with the intention of hiring new commissioners to lead the new departments. Here's the backstory that I think we need to tell. Let's go back, I think it's like five or six years ago, um, the organizational structure of the city was five departments under five directors. I think they were corporate, legal, community, infrastructure, and planning services. Nicely done. Um, Two of those directors were retiring, so there were three left. And at the time, city council decided instead of hiring new directors, let's keep the three director, keep the three remaining directors, merge some of the departments, and just give these three people more work. We're going to call them commissioners instead of directors, and we're going to use the same budget. So we're going to pay them more money because they have more work to do. Um, so there was a merging of departments at the time. So now we have three departments and three commissioners. This is what Jazz Arena is undoing. He's saying these departments are too big. This is inefficient. Let's split them up again. So now we're back to five departments again, and there's going to be five commissioners. He's already hired um, David Potts, the city solicitor, to lead legal services, and Reyna wants to hire a new commissioner to lead municipal operations. And that, that's like un, unfilled position so far. A um, couple interesting things here. I remember when this decision was made in 2018, there was like a big public report that kind of explaining the justification for the restructuring. There was no such report made public this time. And also like, if in 2018, we decided let's give these people more money because they have more work to do because we're merging their departments. Now we're shrinking their departments, right? We're cutting them. So. I think it's worth asking, like, okay, are we going to go back to the old salaries? Like, right? Probably not. Yeah, well, obviously that's not <laughs> going to not. Not happen. Yeah. Um, and I think this is like what's causing some frustration among some counselors. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. It's not going to go over well. And in fact, it didn't go well as uh, Riel had some questions for Reina. So I want some justification here because the commissioner is already in place for legal services. But here we go for one here. And I want some justification, and I'm just hearing from the CEO why he's doing it. I can understand the workload here, but when we went to the commissioner system, we went from five directors to three commissioners. Now we're back to five commissioners. So what has changed? Uh, through you, Mr. Chair, this is about the service delivery efficiencies and better accountability and transparency. I, When I did my scan, I found that it was needed because the original IPS department was too huge with the eight directors, and this is that's why uh, it is split so the operations go one side for the better uh, accountability and service delivery efficiency. But not every councillor was opposed to the new organizational structure. Here's councillor Kevin DeGay. Um, I'm satisfied with the structure that's been presented. Um, what CAO Reyna is doing is 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 reassigning established staff uh, with the slightly um, with slight modifications, they're not quantum leaps, within our overall structure. So we're just we're moving elements around to create what he, what our CAO is identifying as a model that will move our city on a appropriate progressive basis. Councillor Alex Burke also spoke about this. He said that he wishes he just had like a little bit more information about sort of the justification for some of these decisions and a little bit more clarity around like how is city council supposed to oversee these kinds of decisions? I'm not saying that anything was done with ill intentions, but to me, it always seems like from some of these reports that it would come these these decisions to add these hires 
including the one here on the organizational chart that represents, I think, a 50% increase on the CAO budget is like, help me understand here how council is going to have oversight to these hires. To the chair, I mean, and certainly not to get argumentative, but I mean, certainly I'm hearing from the taxpayers that they feel that the city of Peterborough here is top heavy. And certainly even you can say, well, the corporate world and certainly public um, office is a lot different. Well, it isn't. You're running a business here and it has to streamline. And the taxpayers are paying the freight for the employees that we have. And when I see this here, well, I'm, I'm going to make a motion that this be deferred because, again, this is a plan that, you, that the CEO of the city has for modernizing the city that we don't know about. I'm looking at this and I'm saying I know nothing about it until I question it tonight. Through you, Mr. Chair, respectfully, I think I have explained in the emails, I have explained in my one is to one meetings, I have explained in the when we developed the strategic plan. So there are no surprises here, sir. And it was very in-depth explained to everybody. And as a CEO, I have to run the business. And this is how I felt that I should do the business. And when the emails were sent, if anything was, uh, there was a, some, uh, you were not agreeing to that at that time, no, nobody has raised these things to me. But as a CEO, this is what I felt, that this is needed. And that's why the emails were sent to everybody. People were briefed one is to one and no issue were raised. So respectfully, I will just say that as a CEO, I felt the need and that's why I did it. So you heard Councillor Riel mention a deferral to not hire this this new commissioner there um that motion for the deferral lost 10 to 1 with only real voting for his own his own motion on the deferral um and throughout this evening uh some of these exchanges were making other other counselors feel like staff were being disrespected there's a casting of aspersions that i feel are, is very disrespectful we all participated in a strategic plan we wrote that strategic plan and that strategic plan is guiding the decisions of, of us as counselors making those decisions and along in partnership with the CAO. We we created that plan together and I, I don't appreciate the tone and disrespect that's being shown on this floor. Thank you. I think some of what I've heard tonight is calling into question the professionalism and the integrity of our staff. And to be quite frank, I don't like that. That's what I'm hearing tonight. I don't think it's I don't think it's productive. I don't think it's professional and I'd like us to focus on the budget. Yeah, so I thought this was interesting. It just brings up questions about, I don't know, like, really like the democratic role of city councillors and how they're supposed to engage with staff. I have always thought that it's important to, it's important for councillors and staff to have like good productive working relationships, but like the democratic, the reason we have democracy set up the way we do is to enable a certain amount of tension between staff and counselors, right? Um, I think that counselors are supposed to push staff a little bit on behalf of the public who pay them and who expect them to be working in the public interest. Um, and I think it's a good thing when, I think there's ways to do this respectfully, um, but I think it is a good thing when there is a little bit of disagreement or just like a little bit of pushing back from counselors onto, onto staff. What do you think? No, absolutely. I mean, I think that this is exactly how, how this is supposed to function. You know, um, staff come forward with a budget with, you know, uh, um, basically saying this is, this is their expert opinion on what, what, sh what can be implemented if, if, and then, and then council need to need to push them and, and see exactly, um, 
it, where things can be cut, if things can be cut, and then question staff in, in, in healthy and productive ways. And, you know, if that crosses over into what could be construed as personal attacks, and that's an issue, and that's a different story. But I think that what we're seeing here is is the is a healthy tension that, that should be upheld and is demonstrative of a, of, a, of a functioning democratic system. Let's move on. The next topic we're going to talk about that came up during the budget meetings is the clean tech commons. Um, this is, I'm going to let Sebastian walk us through this because he's been following it a lot more closely than me. Sebastian, as you know, is the co-editor of Arthur Newspaper, and this is a story where the, the, the city of Peterborough and Trent University meet in a really interesting way. Uh, Sebastian, walk us through it. What's the clean tech commons? Yeah, so absolutely. Um, clean tech in an ideal world is a, is a place which is supposed to attract clean industry to Peterborough. So green initiatives, um, startups, these kinds of things to sort of set up shop um, adjacent to Trent, Trent's main campus, uh, the Simons campus. Um, but on Trent land, right? But on Trent land, okay. yeah. So this is Trent-owned land, and they're trying to attract um, green industry to set up um, set up there. Um, this, to the surprise of anyone, to, to the surprise of no one who knows me quite well, is one of my absolute favorite topics of conversation, um, because I think it really illustrates some of the um, really understated tensions between Trent University and the city. Um, for context, over the past decade, the city has sunk about $12 million into the servicing of the Cleantech site. Um, uh, so this includes things like bringing, bringing the roads up to municipal standards, uh, servicing water, uh, sewage, these kinds of things. So bringing it up to create a, a, a usable piece of property. Um, and this is the city's investment in order to eventually sort of regain some of the, those those investments through things like uh, you know taxes and, and these kinds of things or just general like economic development yeah is, economic development as well yeah. yeah so so the trend sees this as an investment you know that it, it expects to eventually see returns on and how's it gone it's not going great will <laughs> yeah it hasn't been going great um uh, this is uh basically due to the fact that because of the nature of the, the companies that Trent is trying to attract here, so as I said, this is meant for um, green industries, um, uh, they haven't been able to bring on a tenant which will aid in the in the actual building of the site. So as it stands right now, clean tech is um, a rather large lawn on Trent University property. Yeah, I've biked by it. It's like a big, beautiful road to nowhere. Well, like as beautiful as a road can be anyway, but it's yeah, this big serviced property and nothing there. Yeah, so as I've written in, in articles, uh, the greenest thing about Clean Tech Commons is the grass because it is literally a lawn. Last year, when during the 2023 budget talks, uh, Councillor Keith Riel um, motioned to just you know, just just strip uh, Clean Tech Commons and Trent of of all the all the money that was meant to be funding it the project. Uh, this was about a million dollars last year, and it wasn't successful. But but this year he had a he had a different tactic. So I'm going to make a motion. Um that the letter be sent to Trent University that the executive director position at Clean Tech Commons, which the city pays 50% or $130,000, will cease to be funded after 2025. And I would like to explain the reason for that. Um, the city of Peterborough has spent $14 million on the development of Clean Tech Common, and we are yet to see a tenant in that. We have been paying this individual um, $130,000 for a number of years. 
So yeah, as you heard there, part of the funding that Trent receives is paying half the salary of Martin Yule. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm sure he's listening to the podcast. And oh yeah, big is, fan he, of Peter Bookings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he is, uh, Martin Yule is the executive director of Cleantech Commons. And so paying half of that salary, it's $130,000, means that he's being paid about $260,000 to um, direct Cleantech Commons. Um and after the introduction of the motion, Councillor Gary Baldwin suggested that they defer this motion until staff come back with more information about the city's obligations. And it's, it's worth noting that, that during these conversations um, back and forth between councillors and staff on this, it, it didn't seem that staff had a whole lot of answers right away in terms of the obligations that the city owes to Trent regarding clean tech itself. Um, and Mayor Jeff Leal also mentioned that this would be a good item to bring up at an upcoming meeting between the city and Trent administration. I think at a courtesy to Trent University, uh, this is an item that would uh, uh, certainly be appropriate for the uh, agenda of the Trent University City Peterborough Liaison Committee. And I think that might be the appropriate uh, uh, table uh, to have this discussion. And I can assure you that uh, uh, the comments that are made uh, by Councillor Real will be uh, a topic of very vigorous discussion. I mean, the bottom line is we want results, we haven't seen results, and something has to change. So that's a pretty classic conciliatory move on Jeff Leal's part. You know, he he never likes to blindside um, outside organizations. So whether it's the county or or any any partner with the city, he doesn't like to make decisions at council without first at least giving giving the the the, the partner an opportunity to sort of yeah, you know, this, explain their their side. This is a pattern of him like trying to something will come up at council and he'll try to divert it to like the appropriate venue. Like oh let's talk yeah. about this at this other committee. Yeah, for sure. It's it's definitely definitely the way that he likes to run run council. And I, you know, it's generally speaking, I think it's a it's a it's a nice thing to do. Um, but you could you definitely get the sense of the frustration of councilors and and Mayor Leal himself. You know, I don't think he. I don't think he's he's exactly happy with the situation the city finds itself in and its well, relationship to and Trent has, and Cleantech. Sorry, and Leal has previously said, and maybe even during these budget talks, that he thinks that Trent needs to maybe uh, change its criteria for the kinds of businesses it would accept there. Absolutely. He keeps using the term flexible, and he's right, been yeah, using yeah. that term since he's become mayor. That whenever Cleantech comes up, he always asks whether it's someone from Trent or whether it's from PCAD or someone like that, or even what the innovation cluster. Um, when we talked about that on our previous episode, he asked, do you think Trent should be a little bit more flexible? Can we put can we put a coal plant at the Cleantech yes. Commons, please? I, want, I once interviewed him, and he said, you know, London just built a beautiful meat processing plant, and I think that would be great on the Cleantech side. Okay. I thought that was fascinating. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the the bottom line is for for some the idea is the city needs to be seeing a return on on their investment on this. You know, as as we said, twelve million dollars to service um, service the land. Um, and you know, some of them are saying that pretty explicitly. If I was a business person, heads would roll because you have to make money off of this. We're making not a red cent off of this, so. I think it's a shot across the bow to Trent if there's an impediment or a blockage of putting a business in there and going back to the original contract of what the um, what CleanTech Common was to be used for, then I think that has to be looked at. But I'm not waiting forever and a day. Okay, that was Keith Riel, uh, Councillor for Ashburnham Ward. Sebastian, you're going to keep following the story, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm going to try to find my way into the uh, liaison committee meeting between uh, 
between the city and yeah, Trent. That's and, this uh, Wednesday. That's this coming Wednesday. So so hopefully okay. I'll be able to get myself in there and cool. maybe maybe have some answers for the next episode. Let's move on to our next topic, which is actually connects pretty well because this is another of the city's big like economic development initiatives, and that is the Peterborough Airport. So the Peterborough Airport is just southwest of town. Um, the city owns it and the city runs it kind of runs it like as a business um they rent out space at the airport to aviation businesses that need that location to you know to to do their work um it's like an economic development thing for the city like this is you know there's lots of jobs there um it's something that people talk about a lot but the airport is actually located in cabin monaghan township do you say monaghan or monaghan i think i say monaghan okay i might say both at different points in time depending yeah. on who i'm around i hear one way gets you in trouble and one way doesn't i'm okay. not quite sure okay i don't really know either i'll probably yep. just use both of them <laughs> Sounds um, good. okay so that the airport is in the county of peterborough in cameron monaghan township and as a result it's the county that gets the property taxes from this site not the city the 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 tenants pay the municipality but the township bills the city of Peterborough for the property tax bill, and we send and we send the cash to the municipality. We are a flow through. There's no net revenues. So that was the city's commissioner of corporate services, Richard Freeman, explaining a little bit about how the airport's finances work. Um, as it stands, the airport is actually like it's a money losing proposition for the city right now. I think it loses like two or three million dollars every year. Um, so the city is like sinking money into this initiative. I think some, maybe some would argue that like it's worth it because of the jobs it creates um, and the economic activity it creates. But Councillor Alex Burke questioned the value of this investment. We've seen that this is the highest tax rate increase that we've had in, in decades, multiple decades. And our job for the last three nights at 11 o'clock is to find efficiencies. And we've just heard that we sink millions of dollars into this uh, for a net loss. This is wild to me. If you go ask 10 out of 10 people that I know, none of them would prioritize an investment into the airport. So Burke moved to defer $450,000 in planned capital expenses for the airport that would be used to start building a new airplane hangar and fuel facility. We're talking about building a... Uh, we're talking about building something to store airplanes when people in the city don't have a place to live. So the plan had been to start working on this airplane hangar and fuel facility at the airport next year. Burke thought, let's defer that to save a little bit of money. But that idea was not received well by other councillors, especially not by Mayor Jeff Leal. The airport is not a net loss in the city of Peterborough. It is a net gain to the city of Peterborough. So it's just nonsense that we're, we're going to try to jeopardize this regional airport going forward. Doesn't make sense. A modern city needs to have a regional airport, and we got to make sure we stay on the map in aviation. Councillor Hickey, too, defended the economic value of the airport. I understand, Councillor Burke, where you're coming from, because it does look like we're losing $4 million, $5 million over two years. But then when you add in the ancillary things, and I'm out there all the time, and there's a lot of action going on out there. There's a lot of transactions, financial transactions that are done at that place. Yeah, so I guess after listening to all that, how much would this have actually saved the median taxpayer? So it's about $450,000 of spending, but it's capital spending, which means that it would be um, debt financed. So like the, the cost for the taxpayer next year would just be like the debt payment that we would have to make. Um, and that works out to a little bit less than a dollar for the median household is how much um, it would cost to, to go forward with this plan next year. But like, you know, that debt, that debt payment comes every year. So it's like, 
a dollar this year, a dollar next year, a dollar the year after. Um, mm-hmm. But next year, it would just be a dollar for, for the median household. Um, so that's kind of like the stakes of this decision. And it did not pass. Burke, Alex Burke was the only person who voted in favor of it. Every other councillor voted to proceed with the plan to work on this aircraft hangar and the fuel facility. But certainly by no means does that like end questions about the airport. I think that councillors are still looking for ways to either make this an initiative that like doesn't cost so much money or see some more activity there in terms of economic development and some sort of deal with the county um, to like work out this fact that like the city is pouring all this money into this airport, the county's not, but the county is receiving all the property taxes from the airport. So there's tensions there that are not going to be resolved um, anytime soon, I don't think. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good note to end on. Okay, we've talked about, what did we talk about this episode? The airport, the Clean Tech Commons, discretionary benefits, transit. There was one more. And the organizational chart. Oh, yeah. Yeah, your favorite. I did enjoy How that one. You? Yeah, it was good. Um, I think we need to stop. We're going to do another episode next week about mm-hmm. some more things that got discussed at budget meetings. But um, I think this is a good place to stop. Yeah, so these were a lot of the things that came up over the past uh, the past three days. We can't get to it all um, in this episode. Yeah, literally everything that the city does is in the budget. So, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's a big thing. We can't cover it all, but these were, I don't know, how did you go through like making these decisions of what to talk about? I just thought like I tried to th- pick the things that were seems to evoke the most passion from yes, councillors. Yes, I was going to say the exact like, same thing. The things where people were a little bit riled up. Yeah. Um, that seems it's fun to listen to. Rustle some feathers. I think the main takeaway from all of this, though, is and we said this off the top, is that there there weren't a lot of um, you know big cuts or decisions being made to to drop the drop the tax increase. Um, all of that came right. I was at the surprised. End. I was I was very surprised too. I, I was expecting it to be a much rougher process. I thought that some of the more conservative councillors would be looking for cuts more yeah. vigorously than they did. Yeah, I think a lot of I think the general mood is uh, just one of you know resigning oneself to the inevitability of this uh, this this tax rate increase this year. Yeah, um, they did they did manage to drop it by about two percent. Yep, a little more than two percent. Uh, so the final. The, the the rate as it stands right now going into into council is um, seven point three eight. Cool. Okay, we will have an episode next week. More topics. We're going to be focusing on things like infrastructure, active transportation, traffic safety, stuff like that. All of that, like um, you know, public public movement stuff in the city. And then uh, yeah, so you look forward for that. December eleventh, the budget goes to city council. City council will approve it. And then this is new for this year. Like Mayor Jeff Leal actually has all the power in this. Um, in this situation because of the new strong mayor powers given by the province. He said, I mean, he has to use them. There won't be a budget unless the mayor tables it Mm -hmm. this year. Um, But he said he's going to table the exact same budget that council approves because he believes in that process. Yes, yes. He's been very emphatic and consistent on that point, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is important. So it will be the mayor's budget, he said, but it will be actually councillor's budget. Okay. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. This was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch up with you next week.